I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the spiritual, same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. All right, so we are in this series on yield from 1 Corinthians about yielding ourselves, yielding our rights for the glory of God and the good of others, because we tend to focus on ourselves, don't we? It's a problem for all of us, and it's that way when we're driving, too. We tend to focus on our own rights. I don't know if you're like me, but you tend not to cut other people the kind of slack that you expect them to cut you. It's like, man, I was supposed to go first. I, I had the right of way here, you moron, you idiot. Why didn't you let me go? But when I do the same thing, man, I've got a good reason for it, right? I've got, <laughs> my circumstances are different. My situation is more important. What are the most common ways that we break the role, uh, rules of the road and we treat the road like it belongs to me? Well, we, 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 uh, we break common lines like seatbelt laws and helmet laws because, well, I'm just going around the corner. I'll be right back. Or we break the speeding laws, right? Because I'm going to be late. Got to make it to the store before it closes. Got to get to the bathroom. Everybody else is doing it. How about uh, going the wrong way down a one-way street? Well, you know, um, <laughs> it's the GPS's fault. Yeah, I was lost. And, or... Um, you miss your exit, right? And you do an illegal U-turn. Well, I got a good reason, right? I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to go all the way down to the next exit. I, I got a good excuse for that. Or, or going through a stop sign. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't see it. Or were you not just looking for it, right? So we've all got these excuses and you can try and, uh, go before the judge if you get a ticket for one of those infractions and plead your case. Say, Your Honor, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't realize it was against the law. And he's going to say, ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. No, there's no excuse for breaking the laws. And we're all tempted to do that, right? To go our own way, do our own thing, because the road belongs to me. It's kind of stuff we all deal with, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. And by the way, if you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. Good to have you dropping in. Hope you'll keep coming back, and I hope you'll find this is a place where we admit we're not perfect. It's a place where it's okay to not be okay, but we are finding through Jesus, help and hope and light and life. We hope you'll find that too. Maybe you um, don't have any kind of church background at all. Maybe you, you do have some kind of church background. Maybe even looking for a new church has some issues in the past. A lot of folks seem to come from a Catholic background. If so, maybe you heard this, made the news recently. Pope was in the headlines because he approved officially changing the wording of the Lord's Prayer. You know, where Jesus says, Our Father which art in heaven. Well, yeah, in the... Uh, in the Italian version of it, at least, he's officially changed that now to our 
Father which art in heaven. Jesus would say, lead us not into temptation. Now it says, uh, let us not fall into temptation, which is not what the original literal text reads, but some scholars say, you know, it's okay because it makes more sense, truly, because, you know, Scripture says God doesn't tempt us, so how would he lead us into temptation? It's, we're the ones who fall into temptation. Uh, and, and I think maybe a better way to translate it is just to, to say, lead us away from temptation. Because the idea is that there is leading involved. It's not just falling into sin. We get led. But the, why it's a complicated issue is because the word for tempt can also be translated as test. And sometimes God will test us. He doesn't tempt us, but he tests us. Remember how the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Okay, so... Testing is meant to bring out the good in us. Tempting is meant to bring out the bad in us. So the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he was tested, but it was the devil who did the tempting. And the the thing to understand is there's nothing wrong with actually being tempted. Everybody gets tempted. It's not usually the devil himself tempting us. He's got bigger fish to fry than you and me. It's usually just our own sinful, evil desires within us or that we live in this fallen world that we're influenced by a world that's in rebellion against God and promises all kinds of pleasant, pleasurable, positive things apart from God. But it's not wrong to be tempted. It's only wrong to give in to those temptations. Jesus was tempted, but he never gave in to it. Thing is, most people today don't even really know what temptation means because they don't really understand what sin is. And they, they, so they think being tempted is, oh, I'm tempted to overeat. I'm tempted to procrastinate. I'm tempted to spend too much time on media. So they don't understand this. Temptation really is a lot more serious and deeper than those kinds of issues. It's not just, you know, doing things I probably shouldn't be doing. It's actually rebellion against God, it's disobedience to God, so they, they don't understand. But for us, we, we do, all right? If we're Christ followers, we get the concept of sinning against God. So what are your main areas of temptation, of weakness, of vulnerability? Because it's all around us, right? Temptations for pride, selfishness, hate, lust, lying, cursing, cheating, materialism, greed... You name it, it's all out there, but it's up to us to resist it. But all the folks who will admit to being tempted also admit to not putting up much of a fight. In fact, a lot of people say, I don't do anything to resist temptation, <laughs> right? So that's not an option for us. If we're committed to following Christ, we are called to resist temptation because temptation is not irresistible and there are no excuses for giving in. That's what 1 Corinthians is saying there. And it was the Protestant reformer Martin Luther who 500 years ago said, you know what, you can't stop birds from flying above your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. You can't do anything about all the temptations out there around you, but you don't have to let them make a home in your heart. All right, We, we want to be able to resist temptation. Now, I will say right up front, if you're not a Christian, then you're off the hook today. I'm going to give you a pass because I'm sure you're a wonderful, decent, nice person but you're still a sinner we're all sinners we all do wrong things and the thing is before christ there's no way we cannot not sin it's inevitable that we will sin because we have a fallen human sinful nature and that's especially true when you don't really understand what sin is or the significance or the consequences of it but it doesn't matter you're still without excuse ultimately because we all have god's basic moral code 
written on our conscience. Right? We all have this fundamental law of right and wrong, and we all know what's wrong and we still do it. So nobody really is without excuse. It's not like you're going to be able to stand before God one day and say, God, you can't condemn me. I didn't know any better. I didn't know about the Bible. I didn't know about Jesus. No, you're not going to be condemned because of what you didn't know. You'll be condemned because of what you did know. And you knew enough. You knew enough of right and wrong, and you still chose to do wrong. You, you couldn't even keep that basic moral law, let alone all of the other laws of God. So we're all in the same boat. And, and we all stand condemned before God because we choose to disobey, to do bad, to do wrong. But Jesus, you know, he comes along and he raises a standard for us. And that's why as Christ followers, more is expected of us. Why? Because first of all, we understand. We, we, we've got the guidance of God. God's word tells us what God expects of us, what sin actually is, what the consequences of it are. So we're without excuse. We know better. But more than that, we also have a supernatural strength beyond ourselves. If you don't have Christ in your life, all you've got is your own willpower, which is not very much, right? It's pretty weak. But we've got a power beyond our willpower. We've got a supernatural power through the Holy Spirit who is actually helping us to become holy like He is. Now, we understand we're not there yet. We're still fallen. We're not perfect people. Uh, and that's why we need a Savior, well, everybody needs a Savior. We, we, we have chosen Christ because He's the only one who can deal with our sin problem. All the religions in the world, all the philosophies and systems, they can't take care of your sin issue. Only He died in your place to receive the penalty of death that you and I deserve, separation from God. Jesus suffered that in our place, which makes us forgiven. Therefore, in God's sight, we are sinless. That's what makes us right with God is he he views us as sinless because of Christ and then through the Holy Spirit he comes to indwell us so that we actually begin to sin less and less and less and less and so here in this 10th chapter of 1st Corinthians 10 Paul reminds us of some examples from the Old Testament scriptures to help us avoid their mistakes you heard that in, in what was being read, all those stories from back then. What, that's the way we want our kids to learn, right? We would prefer that they listen to us, that they learn from our mistakes so they don't have to make the same mistakes themselves, right? But what happens? Well, they often go ahead and do it anyway. Some people just got to learn the hard way. But how much better it is to learn from somebody else's mess up so that you don't have to do it yourself. And that's some of the value and beauty of the Old Testament Scriptures. See, as Christians, we're no longer under the laws and rules of the Old Testament. Jesus came and brought us a New Testament, a better covenant. But the value of the Old Testament, which is still God's Word, is that it instructs us, it gives us examples, it shows us, here's what you shouldn't do. Don't be like those people back then. Learn from their mistakes. See, God not only inspired all of those stories. I mean, he, he, he did the events, but then he made sure they got recorded for us. And not only recorded, but they got preserved through the ages so that they could get passed down to you and me today. See, this isn't some ancient book that's irrelevant to us. God made sure it got down to us today so it could help us right where we are. So Paul says, remember, remember those Hebrews back when they were in Egyptian slavery and God sent them a savior, a deliverer named Moses? Remember how Moses led them out of slavery into freedom and into the promised land? Remember that? Okay, well, don't be like them. They messed up really bad. 
I mean, talk about a royal screw-up. These guys had it all. I mean, they, they were right there in the midst of all these promises, the presence of God, and they still messed up. They, they fell into this idolatry and this sexual immorality and this grumbling, this griping and complaining against God. And for us, you know, idolatry is still a big deal around the world. It's a very religious thing. But for us, it's typically putting things more important in our lives than God's. Whatever is most important, whatever you're going after, that becomes your God, right? And so they're grumbling because these Corinthians are, are being like the Hebrews. They've, they've got all these blessings in Christ. They've got His Word. They've got the miracles. Paul was there. He started the church. And yet they're, they're not happy with God. They're grumbling against God. And they're testing their limits. They're seeing how much they can get away with, abusing their Christian freedom to see how much they can, how far they can go and still consider themselves a Christian. And that's where we, we often do the same thing today. And so Paul reminds them of some serious incidents from Jewish history. So let's, let's do a little bit. Let's do some old Moses stories and learn from them. He's leading them out of slavery into the wilderness, okay? So they're, they're free now. They're wandering through the wilderness. God is supplying them with this manna food, bread stuff every day. And they're not happy with it at all. Now, all they're doing is griping and complaining. Oh man, we had it so much better back in Egypt. Remember we used to, saute our fish and garlic and onions and we had these fresh melons for dessert now we're all god is shoving this manna stuff down our throat every day we're sick to death of it and we're wandering around this hot miserable desert following this dude who well, we don't even know if we should follow this moses guy we ought to go back we had it better back in egypt you were slaves in egypt what are you thinking you were delivered from all that you witnessed the most incredible miracles of god the ten plagues Splitting the Red Sea, walking through on dry ground as Pharaoh's army was closing in on you. That wasn't enough for you? You, you want more than that? Well, yeah, they did. They wanted a lot more than that. So they grumbled, they griped, and the very first chance they got, they went right back into that pagan idolatry. Remember, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. What do they do? Ah, forget him, man. Let's, go, let's, let's make ourselves a golden calf. We'll worship that. That'll be our God. And then all the carousing starts going on in the camp because they're worshiping the golden calf. You know, a big part of pagan idolatry was sexual immorality. So they're basically having this all-out orgy in the camp to worship. And God wants to wipe them all out. Remember that? And, And Moses intervenes to save them. I mean, a lot of them died, but most of them were spared because this is serious business. That's how, see, these aren't temptation. It's not just making these mistakes. This is rebellion against God, disobedience to God. And we, we, frankly, we all deserve it. Remember the scriptures say the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to be put to death for our sins. And that's what's happening to them. But they have a savior. They have a deliverer. Moses intervenes for them. And yet they still don't learn their lesson because they go further down the road. And then some more people start rebelling against Moses and God and complaining. And so God causes the ground to open up and swallow us. The, the ringleaders fall down into this pit. I mean, into the, wherever it led to, who knows? But fire comes out, starts consuming all the rebels. You think they would have got the lesson, but no, the next day, all the people come out to Moses and say, Hey, what'd you put those people to death for? Well, that's not right. That's not fair. We don't like that. So God sends a plague, starts wiping them out again. Moses intervenes, please spare them, starts offering incense to atone for their sins, and God relents, his wrath is turned away, 
and they are saved by Moses once more. It gets even more bizarre. A little bit later down the road, they're griping again. Ah, we detest this miserable food. Why did they lead us out into this desert to die? Why, why do we put up with Moses and his God? Forget this. So God now sends poisonous snakes out to bite them and kill them. And so they're dropping like flies. Moses intervenes again. He prays for them. God says, all right, fine. Has them construct a bronze serpent, you know, to remind them of the serpents that are biting them and lift it up on a pole. And anybody who looks up at that, they'll live. They will, they won't die. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird, right? But this is serious stuff. God is right to be angry with sin. Yes, he is love, but he's also just and he's holy. And justice demands punishment, which is why when Jesus comes, he says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish because you deserve to die, but have eternal life. God doesn't want you to have to suffer that. So I will be your Moses. I will intervene for you. I will atone for your sins by giving my life on the cross. In fact, Jesus becomes like that brass serpent. Scripture says, because he got lifted up on a cross. And he said, if you look to Jesus, you'll live. Right? Put your trust in him and you'll be spared. And Paul reminds them that those Hebrews were figuratively baptized into Moses, into their savior, their deliverer, their leader, when they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Remember, baptism is immersion. And so it's like you're surrounded, you're saturated. And, and the sea, of course, was made of water. And the cloud that led them represented the symbolic presence of God, that pillar of cloud. So as they walked through, led by God, through all that water, it was as if they were being immersed or identified with God's leader. And they're eating this spiritual food, right? This miraculous manna. And they're drinking this miraculous water that had come from a rock. And so that they were witnessing miracle after miracle. God was using all this, feeding them, giving them water to save them, to sustain them. And Paul brings it all around to Jesus, right? Because that's the beauty and value of the Old Testament. Even though Jesus is never mentioned by name, he's all over it. <laughs> the figures of Jesus are all over it. And so we, of course, are not baptized into Moses figuratively. We're what? We're baptized into Jesus literally. We go down into the water of baptism to be saturated and surrounded by his presence. And we come out forgiven, spared, saved, filled with his spirit, identified with our leader, our Messiah, our Savior and Deliverer. We demonstrate our obedience to him and, and then we are nourished by the miraculous bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He nourishes our soul. And in John 4, he's the living water, the, the water of life, like the rock with the Hebrews. See, Jesus is the rock. So rock on, man, because that, that solid rock is what saves us and sustains us. So now these Corinthian Christians who are kind of like the Hebrews because they come out of the same background of pagan idolatry and sexual immorality. Remember, their culture was saturated and surrounded by it too. They, the, the, Corinth, you remember, was the big city attempt, uh, uh, center of pagan worship because they had constructed the temple of Aphrodite there, the Greek goddess of love and sex. So how did they worship their goddess? They'd go to temple and hook up with the prostitute priests and priestesses. That's how they worship. That's the culture they were in. And how easy is it to go along with the culture that you're in? And how many Christians 
today go along with our culture, which is just as much saturated and surrounded by sexual immorality and pagan idolatry as, as any other. And again, idolatry is a big religious thing in most parts of the world, but here it takes the form of what's more important to me than God. What, what kind of material success, what kind of uh, power and popularity and prestige that, that I go after, that I pursue, that I think is going to make me happy and fulfilled. And when we don't get a, what all the world is promising us apart from God, we start to grumble and gripe against God. It's God's fault that I don't have all this stuff that I should be getting. And sex is like a God in this culture too, isn't it? I mean, we're obsessed with it. We, we think that that's the key to bringing us happiness and fulfillment. We idolize it. We voyeuristically view it. We, we obsess over it. We commercialize it and merchandise it. We, we, we joke about it and we talk about it and we, we simulate it and we create robots for it. We are a society that is enslaved to the God of sexual immorality. So here are three things Paul says he wants us to remember about temptation. First, every temptation is common. Whatever you're dealing with is nothing new. You think all those thoughts that you have, all those struggles, all those desires you have, you think you're so bad, you get so down on yourself because nobody else has to deal with the kind of stuff I do. Oh, everybody does. Everybody does. Just the different levels of degree and intensity. You think you're, you're all that. You're not. You're just normal. You're natural. It's, it's common. Paul gives us this encouraging insight in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Okay, so we all go through the same kinds of temptation. They may be different specifics, like I get tempted by chips, you get tempted by ice cream, but we all get tempted to overindulge in food, all right? That's, that's common and normal to all of us. The only difference may be the, in, the intensity and accessibility of our temptations, which I think is so true when it comes to sexual immorality. This younger generation, I feel for you guys because you are absolutely surrounded and saturated by sexual temptation. And it's very difficult when you're young to remain pure in a culture that targets you to try and take you down. So in Jesus' day, think about it, you'd have to go to the prostitute. You have to get up and go to a prostitute, pay for the prostitute. Today, you press a button, the prostitute's right there for you. That's it. Easy. But the kind of temptations remains the same. And so it's encouraging to know, I'm normal. If I'm being tempted by stuff like that, I'm normal. But normal isn't necessarily good, because God calls us to be abnormal. And just because it's natural, that doesn't mean it's good either, because my nature is corrupt, it's bent, it's twisted, fallen, sinful human nature. So God gives me a, something better than that, a supernatural nature through Christ. And not only does He tell me that... that to resist, to avoid temptation, but he actually showed me how to do it. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He knows, been there, done that. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So whatever you're being tempted by, sex, lust, greed, pride, drunkenness, Jesus was tempted by it too, just like you, but he didn't give in to the temptation. That's the difference. So you can never think, Lord, you don't understand what I'm going through. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> he, he personally knows what you're going through. And listen, I, temptation never goes away. Don't ever think that, oh, one day I won't have to deal with this anymore. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, 
how mature you are in your faith, how often you attend church, how well you know your Bible, how strong of a leader you are, you will always, always be dealing with temptation. The only thing that may change is, is the intensity of it and the accessibility of it, but you will still be tempted. The difference is how we deal with those temptations. But the good news is God never expects us to do anything. He doesn't help us and equip us to do. And God has given us supernatural strength to say no to temptation. So here's the promise. God won't let you be tempted beyond your limits. You have a limit, and God will not let you go beyond that limit. Now you hear people quote, misquote this all the time. They'll say, God won't, let you, won't give you more than you can handle. And that's not what it says, because of course God gives us more than we can handle. We go through all kinds of troubles and difficulties. Why? So that we'll learn to lean on God. We need Him. We can't handle it on our own. But here's the actual quote, verse 13. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, and you will be, He'll provide a way out so you can endure it. That's a great verse to tuck away, man, to memorize. I hope you'll do that. In fact, let's say this one out loud together. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, A way of escape, an exit. So what do we often do with that? Well, instead of resisting temptation, we flirt with it. We see how... How far we can go with temptation without crossing over the line. How much we can get away with and still consider ourselves a follower of Jesus. But when you flirt with temptation, you play with fire. It's really dumb. So we, we've got to learn to look for the escape. And you can't say, oh, I can't help it, man. This is just who I am. It's the way I was brought up. I had no choice. No, no, no. It's not irresistible and there is no excuse. So how is God going to help you prevent you from being overly tempted. Number three, he'll provide a way out. There's always a way out. Even when the Hebrews were being pursued by Pharaoh's army right up to the banks of the Red Sea, it looked like there was no way out. What did God do? He made a way out. He opened the sea for them and they walked through on dry ground. He will make a way out for you. May not be what you were looking for. May not be easy. But there will be a way out. And don't expect God just to pick you up and drop you down an escape hatch. you got to look for it. Seek that escape. And so our big idea is I will resist temptation through God's way of escape. You get that? I will be the one to resist it, but I'll do it through God's way of escape. Okay, so let's get practical here. Let's apply what Paul's talking about. How will God provide that way out? Well, first of all, it will come through prayer. All right? Pray to endure it. Jesus taught us to pray about temptation. And in Matthew 26, he says this to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, sometimes, usually, kind of, but the flesh is weak, always, always. Our human nature is weak. We need supernatural strength. What prayer does is it focuses us on God instead of ourselves, on his strength instead of our weakness. And then number two, look for the way out before even getting in. Best way to deal with temptation is to avoid it altogether. Because if you wait too long, it may be too late. Right? If, if we go ahead, we need to make these decisions ahead of time. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to be tempted, where it's going to be beyond my limits, 
where I put myself in a compromising situation where my vulnerabilities are going to be exploited. Right? It's like if I'm on a diet, I'm not going to go to the bakery. It's really dumb. Uh, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm alone with a woman who's not my wife. It's dumb. Uh, if I'm having struggle with looking at stuff online I shouldn't be looking at, then don't put yourself in a situation where you're alone online. Have somebody around, okay? These are not irresistible temptations. You can avoid it, whatever it is. But sometimes, you know, we're in that situation. So number three, you've got to run away. Literally, you've got to run away. In that situation, you get up and you get out. You excuse yourself and you make your escape. You look for that flashing red exit sign above the door that God provided and you make your way out because it's not inescapable. Paul says we've got no excuses. It's not irresistible. God will always provide that route of retreat, but you've got to look for it. And there's a great story. Brian Chappelle in one of his books tells about the air war over Bosnia in the late 90s. Some of you remember this, how um, Scott O'Grady went down in his plane in enemy territory. In fact, the, the movie Behind Enemy Lines was loosely based on his story. When he went down, he had to uh, hide out in enemy territory and wait for his escape, for a rescue helicopter to come after him. And it took several days where he had to evade the enemies. And finally, the helicopter drops down in a clearing that was a little bit of a distance away from him. But you know what? He doesn't wait for the airmen, for the, for the rescue squad to come and get him. What's he do? He gets up out of the brush. He shakes off every bit of fatigue that he's gone through. He picks up his weapon. He fights his way through the brush. And with every ounce of energy, he bolts for that rescue helicopter. See, we're in spiritual warfare. And God will provide that way of escape for you, but you've got to run. You've got to make your way to it. You've got to put out some effort, okay? And then number four, remember Scripture. How does Jesus defeat the devil in the wilderness? He quotes Scripture to him. Remember Luke 4, 4? Jesus said, it is written. And the devil had to bolt because he can't handle the truth. Now, I hope you're doing that, but you can't bring those Scriptures to mind unless you're hiding them in your heart, unless you're dwelling on them and you're memorizing them so that, kind of like when you do a Google search in your mind, when you type in the word temptation, automatically these verses will pop up into your mind, that God will bring to your remembrance all those verses that you've already tucked away in there. In fact, when you do all these things, the brother of Jesus reminds us in James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll what? He'll flee from you. Remember we said, get up, run, flee, run. Better put the devil on the run. Resist him like Jesus did, and he has to take off. He can't handle the truth. He can't handle somebody who's solid in their faith. Temptation is not irresistible. There are no excuses for falling to it. Why? Because God has given you as a Christian all the resources you need. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. He has given you his word to guide you. He has given the church to you to encourage you. You say, well, what if I still blow it? What if I give in? What if I'm weak? What if I fall? Well, then you need to know another verse. You need to memorize this one, 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every wrong. Maybe you need that right now. Maybe you're struggling with something. You're in bondage to something that needs to be broken today. You need to seek God, confess it. And be free. Be cleansed. So pray with me. Put this in your own words. Pray in your heart. 
God, I, I confess I'm, I've sinned against you. I'm struggling. I'm weak, Lord. So please forgive me because I'm claiming the promise of forgiveness that comes through faith in your Son. I believe in Him. And I believe, Lord, and I'm so grateful that you will forgive me over and over and over and over. And I want to thank you for a Savior who's been there, who done, he's done that, he understands. He's, he's somebody who, who empathizes from experience what I'm dealing with. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me to make me sinless in your sight and then helping me to sin less and less and less as I grow. God, I'm praying that you would break the strongholds today, deliver people from the slavery of sin. Help us to resist, to overcome, God. Remind me of your promise to provide a way of escape and give me the strength to get up and run. Better yet, Lord, help me not to put myself in situations where the temptation is going to be strong. And God, we're thankful that we can be a part of a church where it's okay not to be okay, where we can confess that we've all fallen, we've messed up, we need help. We need each other on this journey. So we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, if you're already a Christian, then claim that promise today. I hope you'll have a better week dealing with your temptations. We're here for you, all right? But if you've yet to make that decision for Christ today, what are you waiting for? You can receive that gift. You can be right with God. You can, know, you can receive that new and eternal life. That's why I'm going to have some friends up here in the next few moments. You come down and talk to them. They'll stick around after the service and they would love a chance to help you take your next step of faith, to put your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to pray with you, to get you ready for baptism today so that you can walk out of here knowing that you are cleansed. And this is the start of a new day, of a new life together with the Lord. Yeah, you're still going to mess up, you're still going to fall, but you've got forgiveness and you've got the Spirit in you to help you live differently. Wouldn't you like that? Today's the day. A stand and sing and you come down. If you're watching online, we'd love to have you show up sometime. We'd love to have you be with us in person. But give us a call this week, email us, whatever, because we can baptize you anytime. Whenever you're ready, we'll be ready for you.